This is my in-studio interview of Robbie Ballinger. We all are capable of just about anything. And the mindset to take is just don't get overwhelmed with the larger task at hand and break things down into smaller pieces. Uh, And then anything's overcomable. You know, Um, there was so many aspects to this effort, points that could have been failures, things to overcome. And if I looked at it all, it was pretty overwhelming. But day after day, you take on what's in front of you, get the best rest you can, and do it again the next day. Hi, my name is Robbie Ballinger. I'm a plant-based ultra-endurance athlete, and welcome to the Training for Ultra podcast. If we could just free ourselves of our perceived limitations and tap into our internal fire, the possibilities are endless. I'll tell you about it when it happened in the race, but to be honest with you, it happened even before the race. It happened in the training. Great cause. Oh, thank you. I respect that, man. So, you keep doing what you do, man. Keep inspiring. For all you kids out there, stay safe and stay strong. Hey, everyone. It's the Training for Ultra podcast. Scott Jurek here. I was physically totally wrecked. I, I had nothing left. I figured I might as well move as quickly as possible towards the finish line if I was going to be moving towards it anyways. How do you even do that? If I could, you know, finish a 50-miler, I could probably run across the country. 100 miles is not that far. Welcome to episode 180 of the Training for Ultra podcast. My name's Rob. I also go by Training for Ultra. We have a great episode once again. We have Robbie Ballinger on. He's a professional ultra runner, vegan, client activist, based out of Colorado here and just wait until you hear what he's come up with. He calls it the Colorado Crush, and it's unbelievable. I think you guys will enjoy it. Quick shout out to the show sponsors. I'm Ethan Wayne, director of the John Wayne Cancer Foundation. And I'm Molly, the race director for the John Wayne Grit Series. My father, John Wayne, asked my family and I to use his name to help find a cure for cancer. So we started the Grit Series. It's a series of 5Ks, 10Ks, and half marathons that take place in the most beautiful and rugged landscapes across the Southwest, including places where John Wayne shot some of his most famous movies. That's right. And all the race proceeds go towards cancer research and prevention programs. We're asking you to join us and bring your courage, strength, and grit to the fight against cancer. For more information on a race near you, visit us at johnwayne.org. That's johnwayne.org. Stay dusty. Also, big thank you to Tannery Outdoors. If you're interested, use uh, the promo code ULTRA10 for 10% off. But this is just a great company. You know, it's designed for runners by runners. Uh, The founder is an ultra runner. And it's an all-natural mineral-based product, which... In this era of of sunscreen recalls and everything taking place there, it's just comforting knowing um, this this is a a good, honest company and um, it it cares about the ultra running community. It cares about the trails and in the national parks and state parks. I think 1% of their sales goes back into the park systems and they, they definitely support, you know, some really great ultra runners and ultra running podcasts thank you to exoskin definitely check them out t the number four u20 for i think it's 15 percent off at this point it, it ranges throughout time but they have new colored toe socks and 
You know, I'm a sucker for toe socks. I, I absolutely love those. Definitely throwing on the toe socks. Their calf sleeves are great. They now have underwear and compression tops. And I, I really am a big fan of almost all their products. I use them during all my races. So thank you, Robbie, for joining me. Uh, super excited to have you here. I mean, I know we chatted behind the scenes for quite some time since we're both in Denver trying to time out hitting the trails. Ironically enough, we hit the trails quite often this summer um, with all your, your races in Leadville and mine. Yeah. Um, so thanks for joining me. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here. So let's let's start off with what what did you do this summer? Oh, uh, so this summer I you were took... crushing it out there, <laughs> like it was insane. But what were you doing? Yeah, so I uh, coined this effort, the uh, Colorado Crush. So it consisted of doing the Leadville Trail Series, the marathon in June, fifty miler in July, and the hundred in August. Uh, between the marathon and the fifty, I ran the Colorado Trail in eleven days, and then between the fifty and the hundred, summited all fifty-eight peaks over fourteen thousand feet in Colorado. Wait, all of them? All of them, yeah. What? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So cumulative elevation gain for the summer was 308,000 feet and about 1,200 miles. I mean, that's insane. Has that ever been done before um, that you know of? Not The Colorado Crush, no. I don't know of anyone to kind of take on all three of these things in one summer's effort. Uh, for me, that was, you know, the point of it was I was looking around at Colorado, this great state we live in, and thinking like, what are these big bucket list items that we in endurance sports are into? And those three things were kind of top of mind. So I thought, why not bring them all together and make them into one large effort that I could take on this summer? And, you know, I think one of the biggest honors would be like aspirationally is that someone else might try to do it one day, like make it into a thing. I mean, I don't know how many people out there have the ability to do any kind of single group of those. <laughs> I mean, I couldn't do the 100 mile this year in Leadville. You did the marathon, Leadville marathon, 50 miler, and then the 100 miler. You basically did Leadman. You, you might as well have done done it. Um, but each one of those efforts in itself is an achievement. And I mean, what was your thought process like going into this? Like, how were you feeling? I think I saw you... I saw you at the finish line of the marathon. Where was your head there? As was that the very first event of of the Colorado Crush? That was that was day one, and I have to say that day there was a little bit of an oh shit moment. Um, you know, I live here in Denver. You know, we're at a mile high, but that's not. You know, that's five thousand feet, not ten thousand feet. So Leadville, it, that's one of the biggest challenges with it. And I found that day that I was not acclimated. You know, I, I wasn't there yet. I had not acclimated, and I spend most of my time in Denver due to just circumstances. I run around town. I'm not on trail a lot, and that you know. So those things going right after the marathon, I was like, okay, wow, there's a lot of work to do this summer. But knowing when you're putting together a multi-month effort, you have time to adjust. That's part of it. There's it, there's a long game involved. So prior to taking on this in 2019, I ran across the United States. So kind of had some context going into it of of the trajectory and kind of how to pace oneself. So yeah. And if you're wondering about him running across the U.S., uh, Rich Roll did a podcast episode. You guys hit on a lot of it, correct? Yeah, that was kind of the focal point of okay. that podcast. It was just after me completing that. Don't get me wrong. I'd love to have 
you know, a few hours to discuss every <laughs> aspect of that. But um, I think Rich did it justice. You know, yeah, it was a, it was a really fun time sitting with him. And yeah, yeah, you can go back and listen to that and tell I got to tell we tell the whole story for sure. So I myself had an oh shit moment going up Mosquito Pass. Was that where you were? starting to see the bigger picture yeah definitely i mean that race is it's it's intense pound for pound that race is a lot it's just straight up and then straight back down and yeah going up mosquito pass yeah you're 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 fiending for air and everything else i describe it as like a 40 mile effort yeah i i definitely would agree with that um and what was i gonna ask you're going up mosquito pass Okay, so did you have that same moment when you were running across the U.S. where essentially you look out and you see the 2,000 miles, what was it, 2,400 or something? Uh, yeah, it was 3,175. But. Did you ever have that moment early on where you look out and you see the enormity of everything and it kind of takes takes your breath away, whether that's for a good reason or not? Yeah. And like, did you have a similar moment there on Mosquito Pass? Yeah, definitely. Like the scope of them, you know, it's just, you start realizing how, like, okay, if I'm putting this much in today and there's X amount of days to go. Yeah. Like days start to get a lot bigger when you're putting, you know, yeah. anyone that's done an ultra, you understand that when you're out there, it, it, the day is just so much more full and long and all of these things than say just one of our mundane days in regular life. And yeah. So when you start stacking those on top of each other for multiple months, it gets daunting. I mean, so you finished that, I mean, I'm just, I'm thinking logistically now, are you going straight from the marathon to then do the CT or what, what happens next after you finish Leadville marathon? So after the Leadville marathon, I did come home for three days to kind of pack everything, get fully established and ready for that. Um, so yeah, there were three, three or four days and then we started here from Denver and I ran to Durango. And you just hit east-west? Or yeah. did you start at uh, section one? Yeah I, started, Waterton Canyon. yeah, I started at Waterton Canyon all the way to Durango. I did Collegiate East. Okay. So I had with me my van and my crew chief from my run across the United States, Jackie, uh, my sister-in-law. She came in and she was my crew as I ran the Colorado Trail. It was supported. We had my van. I slept in it every night. So she was going ahead to the next spot setting up camp, sleep there, do it again the next day. So I, I recall that she helped you get into being plant-based athlete. Is that correct? Yeah. She or just plant-based eating? Totally. She was one of my influences. Um, probably the person I've known the longest to be, to be plant-based and um, definitely someone that steered me in that direction. And then when I took on my transcontinental run, she handled all of the nutritional logistics. She has a plant-based nutrition certificate. So that was probably pretty reassuring that you have someone on your crew that knows your food intake better than probably anyone besides your fiance. Totally. Those two ladies know me the best when it comes to these type of efforts. And also in my corner with that was Jackie was that she had done the Colorado trail. She hiked oh, it wow. last okay. summer or two summers ago, pre COVID. So very knowledgeable. Uh, you know, she really understands me and I trust her a lot. So she was just a great person to have with me it's for like that time. Absolutely. Perfect. Pick. Exactly. Yeah. Um, was any of this in the back of your head, like maybe I throw down and try to do a quicker effort. Like, was that looked at at all? Cause the FKT for the CTs 
I mean, it's reasonably hard, but it's not like Jurek set down something stupid, you know? Day th- it's it's out there. Yeah. Day three, I had a moment where I was like, let's look at it. Maybe I really dropped the hammer. We really go for this. And it's funny how, you know, the trail will humble you. How humbling. <laughs> Once <laughs> yeah. you start those bigger gains through the later sections. Totally. Right? <laughs> well, I mean, it happened like immediately. Like I left from that stop and ended up going up what is called Kokomo Pass. Uh, it's kind of kind of around uh is it cooper mountain or copper one of the two always get them confused like as you're heading into leadville um yeah yeah. copper yeah so right there i said that i go back out and the next section i got above tree line it got really cold and i slowed down a lot and it took five days to speed up again so yeah it it was a very quick thought and then it was a fleeting fleeting idea what was was the lowest moment um out there on the ct was there a moment where you quit endurance sports like I did after the mountain bike at Leadville. There was, I think, for it, like six hours, I quit endurance sports. Right? Yeah, <laughs> I think it. I, you know, I'm not as clear on the day exactly. I want to say it was five or six. Uh, I'd come over a really big pass that morning. It hit, there was a lot of snow on top of it. It had been really wet the days prior, and I had my like pitch a fit like a baby moment where I was just like I'm done with this I can't believe I've done this and Shelly was there at that time my fiance and Jackie and they both get me up and they like have me by both hands like they would a toddler and they're like you're gonna go we're gonna do this and they got me going again and that was the low that gave you your bottle yeah exactly (laughs) (laughs) of coconut milk or I don't know (laughs) um and what was the high point of the CT because Again, that effort in itself is phenomenal. I would have you on and we could talk about CT the entire episode. That's that's the trouble interviewing someone like you. <laughs> Everything you do is worthy of its own deep dive. Oh, well, thank um, you. <laughs> what was the high point? High point, I mean, honestly, was coming <laughs> into Durango that last day. Yeah. Um, the Colorado Trail, it really never lets up. You know, you're every day you're fighting for it. You're fighting to get through it. And if you look on the elevation profile... The last 37 miles, that was my last day. I'm looking at it, and it looks as though it's just like a, a drift into Durango. And you get out there, and in all actuality, it's nothing like that. It's up and down. It's a slog. You are going down in elevation, but that means it's getting hotter. It's getting kind of this tropical humidity because you're in a lot of uh, overgrowth. And so as I was coming into Durango, I, I, I'd fought for it all day. I'd fought for it for the, the 11 days prior, you know, that whole time. Uh, and I was elated. It had his, It was a very big goal to finish it felt on par with the transcon in a way much shorter but it i just fought for it so hard yeah. that's awesome yeah. you see wildlife out there i did yeah throughout the summer you know you name it i saw it the two things i wasn't able to see was a moose or a bighorn sheep um or like the ram you know what's the craziest thing you saw um i saw two bear so that was okay. that definitely was i think it's the first time i've ever seen a bear on a trail i saw one on the colorado trail um and then another one actually just driving to a 14er but no mountain lines no mountain lines yeah they saw you yeah i'm sure they did you think <laughs> about it every now and then you know I, I know they're looking at me every now and then for sure so what's how do you recover from that effort and tell me about the timeline going into silver rush yeah so from there to silver rush i had five days came back home what? regrouped um a lot of, so my my sponsor this summer uh is a company called newcom newcom is a neuroscience technology through a three-part system 
you lie down with it and it brings your brain into alpha and theta waves. And alpha theta waves is where we go in deep meditation, first rounds of sleep. This is where restoration happens. This is where our parasympathetic nervous system takes over. So I was utilizing this is a ton. It, is it a device? So it's a three-part system. Or is it like headphones? Yeah, so it's binaural beats. That's really, so you put it in headphones. So it could be an app even. It's an app. It is an app. It's app-based. There's different tracks that range anywhere from 20 minutes up to 120 minutes. You put on the headphones, you put on an eye mask just to block out the light. And then there's a biosignaling disc that you put on your wrist. That biosignaling disc sends an electric current through your body, slight one, that gets GABA to start releasing from your brain. That's what our brain releases when we start to fall asleep. Through this three-part system, it can keep you in that alpha and theta waves. So essentially you can hack like deep meditation. Like I'm not someone that really has spent the time to master deep meditation, I'm yeah. usually running. So this allows me to do that. So that was a lot of this summer was the exploration of how Newcom could affect me as an endurance athlete. And the truth of it is, is that was really one of the main things that lend itself to me being able to bounce back as fast as I was. I'm utilizing it every day. And so then in between, say, like the Colorado Trail and the 50 miler, it's just Newcom, 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 doing sessions maybe twice a day at times. And that really helped me to... Be ready for that next thing. That, and yeah. as I said in the intro, I'm a plant-based athlete. And I really do think being plant-based is one of my other, like for lack of a better term, superpowers, right? Like um, low inflammation. Meat causes inflammation. Inflammation causes soreness. And by being plant-based, I, I, I don't have those issues. And therefore, I can bounce back again faster, faster, faster. What I learned this summer, one of the big things for me is like understanding what this is I'm doing. What, where, why I'm out here pushing myself in the way I do. And I think it's an obsession with this idea of sustainable motion through space and time. I I don't think like perpetual motion, it's not achievable, but the pursuit of it is very interesting to me. And when I ran across the United States, I was doing it to look at like food choices and how my food choices affected that. And I found that a plant-based diet was what worked for me. It it became, it was an asset. It wasn't just that I could do it and be plant-based. It was like, I'm able to do this because I'm plant-based. But in there, recovery was something I hadn't paid much attention to. I didn't sleep a lot on the transcon. And due to that, a lot of days were a lot more of a suffer fest than they had to be. Just after finishing my transcon, I was introduced to Newcom. And I was like, wow, what, what would have it been like if I'd have had this out there? Fast forward two years, I've created a relationship with them and they're like, let's see, let's see what it'll do. And so that was kind of the thesis of the summer and it really worked for me. It's a really amazing technology. I mean, tell me more about traveling through space and time. And (laughs) I'm, I mean, the nerd in me is like, well, essentially like Einstein, if he was an endurance (laughs) athlete, like everything's energy. Essentially. Well, it's like, you know, it's, it's a thing. I have a lot of admiration and uh, wonder with like the Tatamara Indians, you know, like uh, the book Born to Run. They, they focus on them in that book. I've been down to that race twice. That race was um, what spawned me to decide to do the transcon. And a lot of it was off of this just um, just wonder and amazement at these people. And it's like there's this whole tribe, this whole society that's based around this idea of being able to move through space and time efficiently. And they do it and they do it just so a matter of factly. So I'm, I'm just really interested in that myself and like how we can do that, how so many people that I'm inspired by in this sport have come pretty close to it and wanting to be one of them myself and understand the tools I need to do that. Um, and tell me about in terms of your food intake, 
what was your go-to during the CT and what, you know, for those five days of recovery, was there like a, a specific meal that you were gravitating towards and tell me more about that from a plant-based totally. um, athlete perspective. Well, outside of big efforts, it's like whole food plant-based as much as off, you know, just keeping the ingredients as raw as possible, not raw, but just not overly processed. Right. Uh, when it comes to these efforts, you kind of change that a little bit. So doing things that most of us would do in long efforts, um, gels, bars, and then I would end the day with uh, an outdoor herbivore. It's a uh, kind of a plant-based, uh, camping meal that their double portion has between 12 and 1500 calories. So ending the day with that really getting a big dinner before bed, but just throughout the day, sustaining on uh, like more whole food gels, like the Springs, the Humas Mm -hmm. Um, crafted bars is a bar company that I really like as well as Bobo's. And I essentially ate my weight in Bobo's. Bobo's are amazing. (laughs) Yeah. That coconut one. And (laughs) totally. Um, So, and what was your sleep process like? Were you getting six to eight hours? Were you getting 12 hours? Like, and tell me about like the regular mileage while you're doing the CT. So it, it averaged out to, I think it was 43, 44 miles a day. It ranged from a 56 mile day down to two 27 mile days. Um, some of the lower mileage days were forced upon me due to weather. Uh, we're getting a lot of rain on the Colorado Trail this year at that time. And I was getting trench foot. I couldn't keep my feet dry enough that it actually got to the point where the pad of my foot started to kind of feel like it was separating from my foot. So we were figuring out how to overcome that. Um, One thing that really worked was to just cover my feet completely in, um, in Vaseline and then like hose liners Mm-hmm. That that it took us a couple of days though to find that. So that kind of that slowed me down a little bit. I think it could have done a little bit faster had it not been for that those yeah. issues. Um, Sleep wise, you know, it was I was also I was dodging weather. So initially it was like you know I'm going to go all day. I'll go if I need to a little bit into the night. Get a solid night's sleep. Get up at four thirty. We're going to do it again. Uh, in the first week it became well maybe today I should get up at one o'clock start at two. So I can get as much done before those afternoon storms come in. So it was all over the place in that way. But what I was doing was utilizing Nucom and I was hitting it as soon as I go to bed. Like in normal life when I'm training, I'll train hard in the morning and then I'll do like a biphasic sleep cycle. I'll take a nap and I'll use Nucom at that time. And it helps me to settle down, get maximum gains from that morning. Mm -hmm. And then I'm like the best version of myself in the afternoon because it really lowers stress and anxiety as well. So it's just made me, it's like gets me into this Zen spot. Well, when I'm in these efforts, there's no chance of a biphasic sleep cycle. I'm not stopping to take a nap in the middle of the day. So what I was doing was using it to assure that I was getting some quality rest. And what I'd do is I'd loop the tracks, lay down with it, and your brain will stay in, in it until it's kind of ready to come out. And then I'd come out a little bit and I'd just pull the headphones off and then get the rest of my night's sleep. So that was kind of how we like, were. Like how many hours of sleep do you normally get? Normally, um, I'd say six to seven is my normal. Okay. And then in the midday doing like a 30 to a... 40, no, 30 to 50 minute nap utilizing new calm. Just wait till you have kids, man. Yeah. Right. <laughs> That'll be out the door. <laughs> yeah. There's always one up, like no matter what time it is. Totally. Um, I mean, that's, that's fascinating. What other highlight do you have one last highlight of the CT that no one knows about that? You're like, Oh, 
if you only knew. There's a section, and I'm really bad about knowing where I was when. Uh, it's definitely as you're going into the San Juans. If you are looking at sections, there's a section that puts you close to Silverton, Colorado. That one there, I did that day solo um, with no aid in between, and that was my large day, like 55 miles, I think. Um, I did that effort the year before uh, in order. It was I did it as a celebrating my pa- my late father's 60th birthday. I was going to do 60 miles that day and it totally destroyed me. And going back into it after all these days back to back and getting to do that section again was a real highlight for me. I felt like I just like conquered this beast that had kind of kicked my ass before. And also that day I saw just amazing wildlife. I saw a herd of elk right as the sun came up and they were just bugling. And it was just one of those moments where I had a lot of these this summer where I was overtaken by gratitude, gratitude that I had the opportunity to do this thing. Like, it's just so magnificent to be amongst the mountains in Colorado for two months straight. And yeah, that just hit me. That day was just super special. It took a long time. I was out there for 19 and a half hours to get those 55 months. And yeah, that's epic. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like your dad was probably right there alongside you. Or a you, lot of it. You know, there's times when I'm out doing these efforts that I feel the closest to them I ever do. So definitely something yeah. that I hold tight in those moments and it's special. Yeah. So around mile two of Silver Rush 50 this year, guy dressed in all black comes flying by me. <laughs> a few miles later, Dave Mackey passed me and then I slowed down because I was like, I'm probably going way too fast right now. Um, tell me about Silver Rush. Sil- I mean, yeah. it's a hard race in itself. You just did the CT. How are your legs feeling in those five days of recovery? Like, what were you thinking? Yeah. Was it, because I know for a fact you did Silver Rush after Transcon and it didn't go so well, right? Yeah. Yeah, I did. The first, my first introduction to Leadville was 2000. 18 i did the i did silver rush uh it was my first race in colorado when we moved here we'd moved here in november of 2017 18 i did silver rush really loved it fell in love with the leadville family anyone that's been up there it's amazing they're amazing people amazing courses uh and then yes i tried to come back three weeks after my transcontinental run and do it made it halfway and was like i'm good like i don't need this (laughs) and so walked off of it that day so familiar with the course for sure um wasn't sure how my body was going to react you know after having just done the colorado trail that race i felt really strong my legs felt good the whole time i was really making sure to do a sustainable effort that didn't push me too far but i wanted to give it enough to give it the honor it deserves so that race went it just it was one of my best races I've ever had. I just was in control the whole time, felt good, fully acclimated. It's not often you go to Leadville and you feel, feel fully acclimated. I mean, I totally agree. Yeah. That was my biggest disappointment with the 100 miler that I ran. No headaches, no altitude sickness, nothing. You had gotten just, there, right? That part was in line, yeah. Yeah, and that's <laughs> a lot of times that's the hardest part, even totally. living in Denver. I mean, you look smooth out there when I saw you. Um, it was smoky Yeah, and there, there was a lot of smoke actually. I think that was the first day being up in the mountains when there was a little bit of a haze. Um, tell me how that affected things. Were you impacted at all? Cause by the end of silver rush, I could hardly breathe. Like mm-hmm. my lungs were kind of messed up amongst other things. Yeah. Um, 
I definitely all summer, you're right. That was about the first time I had really experienced the smoke for the summer. Uh, one day on the Colorado Trail early on, there had been a real hazy day. That day it started coming in. And then for the rest of the summer, essentially, until the 100, the 100 was really clear. It was either really smoky or we were dodging mudslides. You know, it really felt as yeah. though there's definitely... You, you can't escape what's going on environmentally right now. And um, something I thought a lot about this summer, as I think all of us were, wherever you were, whatever you're doing, it's been a pretty crazy summer for that. And one thing that I do think a lot about in that is like my food choices being plant-based. You know, if, if from an environmental standpoint, it's a, it's a big, there's a big impact you can have there by choosing plant-based options, whether it's completely or just more often. And so thought a lot about those things, but I'm out here doing this. I'm, I really like to promote that those food choices as I'm taking on these efforts. And it kind of, there's a symbiotic relationship to that, to these mountains and these places that we all love to be out in while we push our bodies. You know, that was the most impressive thing that I've come across with you and your story and what you advocate was how many meals can you replace yeah. instead of, you have to do this. This is the only way. Like, totally. I love that. It's beautiful. Yeah. It really is. Better is better to me. And it's like, I just want to change the script a little bit and let people, and so that people understand, like, not all food choices are equal when it comes to our health or when it comes to the environment. And it, yeah, like I, I, I am completely 110% plant-based, but I don't expect that for everyone. And like, I understand that there's things that people just want because they want them, you know, and there's things that we do that even knowing it's not the best thing for us. Like I shouldn't drink a six pack, but every now and then I do, you know, and it's like, that's yeah. just part of life. And I it all think started should... early 2020. <laughs> Good Lord. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. And just not setting people up for failure. You know, yeah. if you get into anything and you try to be absolute about it and you fail, no one wants to fail. You feel discouraged and then you walk away from it. Whereas it's like, why don't we just try to do the best we can? And with more information, the best we can becomes better. So that's kind of my take on, on, on food choices. Good race. And I have to hear more about how the, how you followed that up? Um, you said you were dodging mudslides and well, that, smoke. Yeah, that was going. That was more Colorado trip. I mean, fourteeners. Okay. By the time the fourteeners hit, that was when you're really feeling all that. When when did you start the fourteeners? So I started the fourteeners. I actually did two in between finishing the Colorado Trail and the fifty miler. We went and did uh, Beardstadt and Evans uh, two days after finishing, two days before the race kind of just wanted to move my legs a little bit. And at that time I was a little concerned about having enough time to get them done in between the 50 and the hundred. So we'd gotten those two done, finished, did the 50 and then the next day did Sherman. So right outside of Leadville, there's one of the more moderate 14ers went ahead and got that one done. And then it was just on, it was every day, get up, do a 14er, drive to the next trailhead, do another 14er. Was it do it in the morning? Was yeah. that the easiest way to go about it with the smoke and everything else? Really? Yeah. And also just uh, like the way weather and patterns should traditionally work in the mountains is midday showers. If they're going to get them, they're going to come in the afternoon. And especially ones that are concerning that contain electricity, lightning, or yeah. that requires heat. So it takes the later in the day, the, the higher the chances of that. So my normal wake up time for a moderate 14 would be 4.30 a.m. I would get up at 4.30 
3.30 on the trail by 4.30. That was kind of our schedule. For long ones, like say Long's Peak, you're getting up at one o'clock starting at 2 a.m. Some I had to do that, whether it be for distance of the day or adjusting because of weather situations we were dealing with. I mean, which you did 58 mm-hmm. 14ers, which is everyone in Colorado. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Was there one or two that stick out in your mind as being eventful? Was each one eventful? They all have their own thing. They're all very unique. From the soil on the ground to the way the mountain just works, you know, like how you get up it. Um, I was familiar with ones in like the front range and the saw watch. These are very like, they're very straightforward. You follow a trail essentially to the peak and it's, there's no climbing involved. There's no scrambling any of that. Um, though there are a handful as you get into the ones around Aspen, the Elks, um, and then the Sonda Criscos, those require a little more technical skill, technical skill that I don't really possess. So we were kind of learning on the go and those were really exciting for me. That was definitely where I stepped out of my comfort zone the most throughout this summer's efforts. And it was something that was really rewarding. Like I'm really into high Alpine stuff now. So of them, Capitol Peak is known as being the hardest, the biggest. It is. Yeah, it, it, lift I up. Mean, yeah it's, it's terrifying at times. Um, but then you get through it and you just feel so accomplished and just so, so like sure of yourself and your ability to navigate that. So that one was really huge for me. Um, those and then the Maroon Bells, those are really big and beautiful. Uh, I enjoyed those a lot. Tell me about Capitol Peak when you're questioning your decision making and you're exhausted because yeah. you know you had a few events prior <laughs> to doing that 14er totally i mean was there a moment where you slipped or shit's hitting the fan <laughs> like tell me Luckily, more about that i mean i was very calculated in this you know in in my steps i had with me uh john john's my soon-to-be brother-in-law he had a little bit of alpine experience he's not an ultra endurance athlete but he gets after it and together we just were very communicative we talked he was always with me on the more technical ones and together we stayed really safe you know um yeah. i felt i never really got in a moment that felt really scary uh except one that was in Chicago Basin on the top of uh, Sunlight Peak. There's this, it's called the block. And essentially, there's a leap of faith involved to get to and from the peak. And there's a pretty deep, like, just cavern in between. And I, you know, there was a moment where it's like, just touch the top. You don't have to get up there. That'll be summiting it. And then we were like, no, that's not summiting. So I jumped up it. The jumping up it required a little bit of mustering up some guts to do it but then i got up there and as i made it over i peeked over the other side and it just it's just sheer rock face for thousands of feet it felt like if it's not it felt like um and then when i turned around and i have to go over this section i then like all i could see was what i had just seen as being right below me and i froze and i froze up there for like 15 minutes as john and my fiance shelly was there that day talked me through coming down um definitely probably the most terrified i've ever been in my life that was that was the moment for sure uh overcame it got through it and that's the great thing about that you know you overcome something like that and you feel stronger more confident in yourself for it but in the minute it was it was terrifying i mean do you see yourself doing more 
epic, like notorious mountain climbing? Um, not like mountain climbing in the sense of like scaling the side of a mountain, like say Alex Honnold, but I'm interested in high alpine, larger efforts. I would really love to get into the Andes, the Himalaya, some of that Everest. stuff. I definitely, I don't know about Everest, but they take a tourist bus up there yeah, these days. You know, I like, mean. And, and, and I'd like to do like long distances over. I'm still exploring what it means and like what those worlds look like. It wasn't something I was too interested in until after this summer's efforts, but I really loved being up there. It definitely fed my soul. And yeah, I do expect to be above treeline a lot more than maybe I was in years past. I mean, of all the 58, 58, 56, yep, 58. Um, was there ever a lightning strike that came close or, or some kind of crazy weather event just because I, yeah mountain weather is great it changes so quickly crazy and unpredictable yeah for sure um most of the time was able to get up real early avoid it uh, i had two days in the sawwatch range which is like right around we're talking like where leadville is mm-hmm. where i was doubling up i was doing one early driving to another trailhead doing a second one uh mount yale and then again on la plata i was on mount yale i was within quarter mile 400 feet from the peak storm rolled in you stand there and you're like okay do i wait it out but you're like this is my second peak of the day i have to do another one tomorrow and finally i was like i'm out of here and so i knew i was gonna have to come back and do it a second time la plata i came up the backside of it i was within 100 yards of the peak and storm rolled in I was definitely pushing what I, where my comfort level was at. Knew I was stepping outside of it. And all of a sudden, I could hear a buzzing in my ears. Bzzz, and and to the point, like, I'm patting my ears. I'm like, what's going on? And then you realize what's going on. And you're like, okay, this is, this is not good. Uh, and I turned around and proceeded to just make it as fast as I could down. Uh, and then about 30 yards later, the same thing started happening on the top of my head, between my hat and the scalp of my head. I threw my hat off. I was just terrified and um, just continued, just proceed to just get down, get down. But you, when you're up there, you're on large boulders often, this one particularly, a large boulder field. So it's not like you can just take off into a dead sprint to get down. I mean, it's still tedious getting down. So you're moving as fast as you can, but your fast as you can is not as fast as you want it to be at that time. So that was my experience with lightning and terrifying again. Those, so yeah, you brought up, yeah, that was another good one to bring up. <laughs> I mean, that buzzing, that's insane. I never want to hear that again. <laughs> I've, I, I've not heard like a first hand account of that. Yeah. Um, I've been close, but not that close ever. Um, I always just look almost like looking at a watch. Yep. I just look at my arm hair. Yeah, exactly. Like kind of get a, get a reading on things. Totally. Um, well, I've heard of people's hair standing up in their head. Unfortunately, I don't have any of that right now. Uh, so, yeah, that was how it came. That's how it manifested. This bzzz. I mean, there's no doubt about it. It was one of those things where it overtook me. It was it was just, yeah, it was scary. I mean, did did there end up being a lightning strike? Not not in no, not that I saw. Wow. Yeah. The irony. Before in the San Juans, I was driving in to do some there, and it was interesting to see the lightning just hitting the ridge lines of mountains, and you realize how how exposed you are up there and how precarious it is to be above tree line when storms roll in. And it's something to take very seriously. I definitely advise everyone. Like if you see storms coming up there, don't risk it. There's really no reason. I mean, I'm just thinking the irony because you're all about this continuous energy <laughs> flowing in 
you're hearing energy flowing between your ears. Yeah. Right. Uh, <laughs> wow. Yeah. I mean, was there one other notable event on the 14ers front? I mean, did you do all of those prior to the hundred miler uh, in Leadville? Yes. Yeah. Everything was okay. done when I finished the hundred. So essentially I got all 58 peaks done in 38 days, 37 consecutive one day that I did those two prior to the 50. Yeah. Um, and, and then there, I did them every day. I was in an effort every day except one. There's a section where you do four of them. They're in the Chicago Basin. You have to hike in for them. So we hiked in one day, did two, did two the following day, and then hiked out. Rained the whole time. So I, uh, in that, I took a day off right after that. But otherwise, it was every single day. Boom, 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 boom. Slacker. Yeah, right? Um, <laughs> and so... I mean, was there one other event? Was there one other experience of the 14ers that you'll take away? Um, yes, the the Elks, the ones are the Maroon Bells I mentioned, um, those in Pyramid Peak. Uh, very, the, the days were just very unique. It was very um, foggy up there. There was no fear of storms. It was just foggy. Mm-hmm. And it made for just a very dramatic and beautiful kind of experience and they're also a little bit technical uh so i'll keep those with me there's no like real poignant thing in it it was just the way the day went it was really cool and on i believe it was north maroon a mountain goat was with me the whole day and actually made it to the peak and as i was coming up the peak was looking down at me and john and that was just really cool mount uh mountain goats were definitely like our you know our our spirit animal of of the summer that's amazing. Yeah, it was super cool. Did you have a, a film crew throughout everything that you did? Um, no, Reese Robinson, uh, he's a young filmmaker, was with me. He was there. He had someone there for the marathon. He was there for the last, I say, seven days of the Colorado Trail and then came back for the last seven days of the 14ers and then also there for, for the 100 and really dug in on the 100. Cool. Yeah. I'm really Very, excited for yeah. what he comes up with. We're a couple months out. You know how that goes. Like he's got a lot of work to do, but he feels real confident. He has a lot of cool stuff and we're not sure how long it'll be, um, but I do expect it to be a meaningful, interesting film for everybody to check out when it comes out. I mean, just covering the CT alone. Yeah. Uh, that's, you, you almost have to be full-time filmmaker, just the amount of time. You got to be out there. Totally. Um, he was on his feet a lot. He He's from New York and, you know, Flatlander coming up here. Oh, man. He acclimated fast and he, he really got after it. I think he ended up getting like six 14ers in uh, during the 100. I think his Strava said 22 miles. Like, the, And that was all, like, a lot of it was up on Hope's Pass. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So I'm really proud cool. of him and excited for what he's going to do. Um, is it hard to be on film 24-7? when you feel like crap like i kind of just try to act like it's not there and um i you know i really try in general in life to be a pretty authentic person so just staying with that you know and and also having a good relationship with the filmmaker and knowing that he's not going to paint me in a bad light i hope yeah (laughs) you know so i I just i live i i keep that as as a hope and dream and i'm sure reese will so i wasn't too worried about it yeah, it gets bad when you get just so comfortable. You're putting on like squirrels, nut butter, <laughs> exactly, like anti-chafe, just <laughs> totally. basically on camera and just okay, whatever. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, where were you mentally at the start line of the Leadville hundred mile run? That was the final event of your. 
Colorado crush, right? Yeah. yeah. So I had four days to rest in between the, the car, the 14ers and then heading into Leadville. And that was a big question of the summer. Where would I be? How would I, how would I perform? Um, <clears throat> I knew I was in the best shape of my life, but then it was just like, well, where's the wear and tear? Like, how is that going to affect, um, going into it felt really good. A lot of confidence. And if you look, go on to Strava and look at my splits, it shows, I mean, I, I took off, I was, I mean, I, I could see Anton <laughs> at times in the first five miles, probably not a good sign. Uh, but I felt so good. I, I really felt as though this was going to be like my breakout race. I was going to do excellent. I was, you know, I'd done 300,000 feet of elevation gain in the 60 days prior. So that's just that like, 14,000 in, uh, the Leadville hundred wasn't Sh- intimidating. Been, yeah. shouldn't be much. Right. Yeah. Um, and it felt that way until mile 13 first, uh, aid station, uh, is that Mayfair, I believe. Um, and then if you've done this enough, you know, when your legs are thrashed and I knew at mile 13, I was like, Oh no. May queen. I yeah. think it yeah. just, it came on really quick. And it didn't let off until after the race. So started off with a lot of confidence. And then at 13, I knew this was going to be a suffer fest. And the weight of it, though, right? Like, Ironically, that ha- that same thing happened to me. I, I did a little bit less um, prior <laughs> to the 100. But yeah, that, that first 13 is reasonable. Yeah. I think it's, it's technical. Downhill. It's technical, but it gives you some confidence because you're cruising downhill. But not at a grade that you realize you're going downhill. You're just kind of... Cruising along. Yeah. And then it hit me and... Climbing up Sugarloaf. Yeah. Is that when... What's going through your head when you have, what, 87 miles to go? Yeah. Um, It's like, it's any time when you start to drag in a race, you wonder like, who am I? Who do I think I am? Who do I think I am to be doing this? And you have all those moments of self-doubt. But then I look back at the gravity of the situation. I've put in this whole summer. I'm not... I'm not bowing down now. So at that moment, it became, okay, we're just committing to a total suffer fest for the next day. And I felt as though I could get it done by the, by the 30 hour cutoff. At that time, I was still like, can I squeeze out a big belt buckle? Can I get it in 25? And I kept hoping that until hopes pass. And then it extinguished that hope. Uh, And then it was just, okay, all right, let's get it done. And then there were moments late, late in the race as my mind started to go where I was questioning, can I do it? Like, and I was asking my crew, I'm like, am I okay on time? Am I going to make it by the cutoff? And they kept assuring me like, you're fine on that. You're fine on that. Later to find out they were, there were some aid stations that I was really late to and they started to worry. And apparently there was a powwow with the filmmakers being like, what do we do if he doesn't make it? What does that change? I just found that out yesterday. I'm going to have to talk to him about it. They doubted me a little too much, but. uh, (laughs) I mean, I, I can totally relate to having the eye on the sub 25 hour mark and then just having that moment where some of those flat sections, you have to be cruising or else you're just, the cutoffs are not overly aggressive, but they're not easy. No, absolutely. And they get harder over time. You know, I was noticing, I thought they'd get easier over time and it actually did not. (laughs) Yeah. I saw the, the, the sign at Winfield for what the cutoff was to get back to hopes. I was like, well, that's, that's not fair. Like that seems really hard. Like Like, don't let people go out if that's (laughs) exactly. Yeah. They're really close. I mean, they're essentially, you're, you're setting up for failure there, but I mean, that's, that's this race. It's, it's hard and it's meant to be hard. And, um, but yeah, it was, there were definitely moments where I, I wasn't sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Tell I, I saw you um, 
I think it was after Hope Pass. Mm-hmm. You were, I think you were going up. I was just coming up. You were coming down. I was coming down. I was, I was in rough shape there. Yeah. I, I, like right after Hope Pass, I fell apart. Uh-huh. And I kept pulling over. I couldn't get into flow. I stepped on a granite chunk. Oh, yeah. And uh, I was like limping around there. Where were you mentally? Because that's a hard aid station to leave knowing the next five miles are brutal, totally brutal. And then you have to descend and your quads are probably already trashed. Mm -hmm. What's going through your head? Like, is this the last climb, quote unquote, besides power line? Yeah. Um, It was was definitely a low for me. Um, Coming down off of Hope's Pass back to Winfield, I met a guy, this guy, Sam. Uh, Sam recognized what I was up to. He had been following it. Uh, We started chatting, and that was really nice to take my mind off of it. And then I Superman fell, like just slid really bad and got up, and I I was like, dude, go ahead. I need need a moment. And so when I made it to Winfield, I noticed Sam was kind of loitering around. He should have probably already left. And as I started to walk out of the aid station, he goes, hey, man, um, I'm really into what you've been doing and I'm going to make sure you get back over Hope's Pass. So he's like, let's buddy up and let's do this. And that really touched me. Uh, I think it's one of the like most like selfless things anybody's ever done for me that I didn't know. And um, it's a testament to this ultra community. Uh, I, I know you've seen it before. We've all seen it. And it's one of the things that gravitates us all towards it is the selflessness of it at times. The way that people will pick each other up help them. Um, so through that, that, that going back over Hope's Pass, I was in complete suffer fest. It was really, really hard for me, but having Sam there and knowing there was this person that was like wanting to help me, but also keeping me accountable to keeping one foot in front of the other, was a big deal. Um, it was a really special time for me and big props to Sam and a big thank you. That's amazing. Yeah. I, I mean, I haven't publicly talked about it, but going down limping, gimp limping for three miles, there were probably 25 people that sincerely looked in my eyes and wanted to like inspire me to keep yeah. going. Yeah. I've never had that many people and it wasn't like the fake, like good job runner. Yeah. Like it was like looking at me saying, Rob, like keep going, man. Like you got this. Like totally. I'm sure you experienced a lot of that too. It's just, I, there's not many communities where you're competing against someone that sincerely cares that you keep going. It's amazing. It's it weird. It really is. It, it's very special to our sport, and it's what it's one of the things that draws me to it and keeps me coming back. You know, like it's there is a level of competition, but it's usually internal. You know, it is. it's about ourselves yeah. and how far we can push ourselves, and then you want to see everybody else succeed at that. Um, I, I love it, and that was the most prime example I've ever had of it. When you started the Colorado Crush, there's just such a high probability of failure. Mm -hmm. How did you cope with that? Like, how did you... I don't. Do you not think about anything other than the task at hand for that day? I just, yeah, I I try to keep doubt out of my mind. Um, If it's going to, if those times come and there's, there are moments of failure, that's where character is built. You know, I think even within my race, the 100, you know, a little bit of character was built in giving up that 25, that big belt buckle and coping with that. And you go through where you you strive for it, you strive for it. And then there's that moment where you have to be honest with yourself and you're like, it's not going to happen. And 
that's character. That's the, like being able to overcome that and look yourself in, in the, in the mirror, in the eye and, and be okay with it. Um, so as far as going into this, going into my transcon, one, I don't, I don't really entertain failure and also, yeah, I just don't give it, I don't give it when to, I don't I, give it oxygen. I've, I've asked some pretty fast guys this question, but how do you describe failure? Um, well, I mean, I think in the honest, easiest is just not achieving your goal. Like just, just that simplicity of that. But then if you go into deeper, like meanings of failure, just because you don't achieve that goal doesn't mean you failed. You put yourself out there. And that's probably the most important thing is having, having the guts to go and try a thing. And I, I, that's, I commend everybody that's towed the line at that race. It's not about who finished and who didn't. It's that you, you were willing to give it a go. How do you describe pain? I've asked that sequence to a few people. It's really fascinating because we all have a different interpretation of what pain is. Mm-hmm. How do you describe or define pain? Um, I describe it as a sensation that we give too much to. I mean, I think that it's all in mindset, like how you deal with it. And it's a sensation. And if you can separate from that part of your brain that says pain means I should stop and you start to embrace it, it's a kind of a beautiful thing to explore. Um, it's when you feel the most alive. Like this effort, every, every time that something hurt, I knew I was here. I knew I was on this earth. I knew I was doing a thing. And you feel... Yeah, you feel yourself purely in, in its most. I do really well with the light, dull pain that comes from these these uh, these efforts. I don't do well with acute pain. Like the idea of like going to a dentist or getting cut, I can't deal with that. But the elongated pain, pain is fine. Like, yeah. That's beautiful. And there's a lot of growth that comes from that. Uh, I, I find pain to be a, a tool for growth. It's interesting because pain is almost like you're overusing a muscle, let's say, mm-hmm. to the point where the energy doesn't flow like it should. Yeah. Ironically. Um, and you can break through that and get that energy flow going again. And that's yeah, something, you know, yeah. I think we learned through these these type of efforts is it's it, like you can do so much more, whatever Goggin says, right? Like we only use 40%. When we think we're done, we've only used 40%. And that thing that's telling us we're done is pain. And we're told by doctors, PTs, and they're probably right a lot of the times, but that when pain happens, stop, elevate, rest, ice, but you don't have to. And if you push through, that's where breakthroughs happen. That's where adaptation happens as far as physically, like that's, there's a point where if you push, 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 your body will succumb to what you're trying to do and you can get on with the task at hand, but that's where the fight comes in. And that's what separates the people from that are willing to do it to those that are not. How is power line going up? I cruised up power line. Really? Yeah. I dropped my pacer, my pacer, Hellas at eBay, who just ran across the United States this year. He's out there with me. He's an exceptional athlete, flatlander. He hadn't, you know, he hadn't been up in Leadville before, but it was actually probably the shining moment of my race. Like energetically turned on and I passed person after person. I just hopped up it. I, it's not normal. Anybody talks about power line. It's a suffer fest. It should be. But that was where everything else I'd done prior to the summer showed up. Did you run at all? Up it? 
No, it was just like a just super, calculated super just power like, hike. Super power hike with a rhythm, poles just hitting perfect. That was one thing this summer I got real good with poles, right? And there's something, they're a tool. If you can utilize them correctly, they can be majorly to your advantage. And in that section, I was just, it was popping. I was doing it really well. How'd the finish line feel? Oh. When you go over that last little hump and you can see the finish line, what was going through your head? How did how'd it feel? Uh, just immense amount of pride in myself and my crew and all my people that were there to help me get through it. Um, it was a real big moment for me. Um, that and, you know, all three, there's, there's all these moments of triumph this summer. Every race I crossed the finish line, it was amazing. Finishing Collar Trail, amazing. Finishing the 14 is amazing. And that just got to bottle all of those up into one thing. And you're also dealing with such sleep deprivation and all these things. Um, there's a video of me coming through the finish. And looking at it myself, it's one of the most pure, raw moments of my life where I was, I was just there in that moment. It didn't matter what it looked like. It was what it had to be. And uh, I was elated. <laughs> uh, what, what was harder, running across the United States or the Colorado Crush? I know they're totally different beasts. There's, different There's a aspects. lot less uh, car exhaust on the yeah. the CT. Well, so with the transcontinental run, I was obviously, you know, I wasn't as experienced as I am now. That was where my experience came from. Um, I pushed my body and mind probably a little too far, a little too often during the transcon. Um, so in that, that sense, that was really hard. Um, what I learned was, is one of, once I got on the Colorado trail, cause it's very similarly linear going in one direction, far as you can every day, pick up, go again the next day. Um, the cars dodging, dodging cars, having these big hunks of steel coming at you at 80 miles an hour is it takes it out of you in a way that I couldn't quantify or understand until I got on the Colorado trail. Colorado trail felt so much more natural. It felt very primal and real. Like that's something I chase through these efforts is getting to that place of like this primal essence of humans. I think we're meant to run, born to run. Um, so in that way, definitely the transcon was harder, but then you factor in being in the wild, um, weather and your level of exposure. When I was on the transcon at any moment, should something go wrong, there's a car there and two minutes to pick me up, make sure I was all right. I didn't have that out here. Every day you go out and you're vulnerable to everything around you. And if something goes wrong, you could be in a pretty big predicament. Um, Especially on those scary 14ers. Yeah, like, absolutely. Oof. Yeah. And uh, and being fatigued while doing that, the that's danger level, right? And exactly. that's, that's one of the reasons I was very interested in using Newcom this summer was keeping my mental acuity as high as possible because I was going to be in such dangerous situations. Uh, again, transcon, you get really tired. It doesn't matter. You just start following the white line, put your head down, hope car doesn't hit you. You're up there, you trip and go the wrong way. You could be in a lot of danger. You could die. Um, so it was really important to stay as, as with it as possible. Um, and then just that level of climbing, you know, I've always aspired to be a mountain runner. We moved from Texas to Colorado. Um, and still, I get in a lot more in the mountains. I go into races. I do all right. I, but I don't, I'm not in, just engulfed in mountains and climbing every day. And that's a lot about what this summer was about, was to get to do that. But that also was what made it really hard. It was just like I was just digging every day to get up those mountains. And um, so both efforts had, had their reasons for which they were really difficult. I wanted to um, sort of wrap things up, and I appreciate all your time here wanted to end with one or two other questions 
um, maybe a few more than that. But what major takeaway do you have after doing the Colorado Crush? Was there one thing that you've learned about yourself through this whole process that you put yourself through? Um, it's kind of, it's this longer running kind of thing for me. And it's that myself, we all are capable of just about anything. And the goal or the mindset to take is just don't get overwhelmed with the larger task at hand and break things down into smaller pieces. Uh, and then anything's overcomable. You know, um, there was so many aspects to this effort, points of that could have been failures, things to overcome. And if I looked at it all, it was pretty overwhelming. But day after day, you take on what's in front of you, get the best rest you can and do it again the next day. So just keep things in perspective and keep chipping away. And eventually you can you can hit larger goals. Will you be doing any of those events again? Yes, absolutely. Um, pick one. I'll do them all again. You know, um, as far as as the Leadville Trail Series, I hope to just continue to do those as long as I can. I want to be a part of that family. That place is special. What's going on up there? I'd like to go after a larger belt buckle. I'd like to help some friends that want to do it get it done. Fourteeners, um, I, I consider going and doing one this week. Like I, just, <laughs> I miss being up there. And the Colorado Trail, I wouldn't put a FKT attempt out of out of question in years to come. We'll see. Nice. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't get much better than running through May Queen yeah. Aid Station. Like, wow. It's special. You, yeah. Uh, there's rare times when non-elites, and you're a very fast guy, but it felt like you were a rock star yeah. regardless of your ability. There's so many people. Twin Lakes has a feel that I think only European races feel. That just energy, yeah. just, just as you pulsating as you go through there. It's so cool. every, Almost every aid station in Ludville is just like yeah, dream. Uh-huh. It yeah. was a dream. I love it up there. I mean, it's cool that you want to still do all those races. I'm right with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that town is a race town now, yep. essentially. That's, that's what it's that's what's driving. That's <laughs> what's driving uh, their city. Yep. So. Yeah. Um, I mean, what would you have done differently? Is there one or two things that you would have changed up? I'm sure you look at the sequence of 14ers and you're like, well, if I had done this first and that or. I think that the trajectory of how I did it was correct. Getting Colorado and trail in first was the way to go. There would be maybe a re-scrambling of some of the 14ers. Um, getting more acclimation, like just getting more altitude training prior. You know, having not having to have the first four or five days of the Colorado Trail to really get where I would needed to be would have been nice. But, you know, life life gets in the way for me like it does everybody else. And prior to it, I had some stuff going on that I, yeah, I could have come in a little more prepared, I guess, would probably be the biggest thing. What What's up next for you? Have you had time to reflect and kind of start? thinking about big yeah goals, i've, I've float some ideas like and they'll stay in my head for a while until i get a little closer just because some of them are kind of like 
intellectual property, you know, because they're a little bit unique in the way they'll do them. So I'm not quite sure. Uh, I am going to take off to London or to the UK in a couple weeks and help my boy, William Googe. He's going to do uh, 48 and 30. So he's going to do a marathon in all 48 counties of England in 30 days. I'm going to go for the second half of it and be there to assist him with that. Um, that's my yeah. next thing that I'm looking forward to. And then we'll see from there. Cool. I, I like that you're creative um, on how you how you do that stuff. Yeah, uh, it's interesting. It's fun. You know, I enjoy races, but I also enjoy things that just become about me and it's just pushing myself against myself. Uh, it, it's a way that you get to purely, yeah, test yourself without having to worry about your ego getting involved, about how other people are doing around you. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, I experienced that a little bit doing Leadman, where I'm like, I can't compare myself. Like, yeah, it's, not many people were doing this and that, and um, throwing a Kipchoge interview, and it's like the stress <laughs> level is off the charts. I can only imagine. Uh, um, what's I going to ask you? My last question for you, because uh, you're a plant based guy, what have you been gravitating towards? Have you do you even eat the uh, the coconut ice cream anymore oh, yeah, i'm trying to remember yeah, yeah. new con uh, i'm sorry <laughs> uh yeah natamu definitely have some natamu here and there um, you're not totally burnt out after running no, across america like in an ice cream truck <laughs> <laughs> no everybody loves ice cream right um you know i get back home and it's now time to just utilize a full kitchen and being able to have fresh ingredients you know uh smoothing it up every morning and mm. then uh like i love rice and beans and then you throw fresh veggies in there I'm happy. So yeah. just eating a lot, but then also like you got to watch that because your, your metabolism, everything doesn't, doesn't catch up at the same time. And like my body wants to continue to eat, but I'm not burning that many calories and I like to stay at a fit weight. So it's a fine line in there. It's hard. It is. I, I definitely experienced that post triple crown. Yeah. Like I just had trained myself to eat. Like essentially that's what we have to do during, during these type of things. Yeah. Um, well, that's awesome. I mean, I want to give you the opportunity to shout out your sponsors. And- yeah, yeah. Back to Newcom. You know, we spoke of it. It's a really amazing technology. And I think in the endurance world, it's something that is really worth giving some thought to. Uh, it's awesome. And even just in everyday life, it keeps you, it keeps me really balanced. Shelly will often be like, dude, you need to go Newcom, you know, if I'm, if I'm, <laughs> if I'm acting up. Uh, and if anybody wants to try it, uh, if you go to the website, if you just Google Newcom, it's N-U-C-A-L-M. Um, and Check out the website. If you put in Robbie fifty on the promo code, that'll get you fifty dollars or fifty percent off your first month's subscription. And it's you can you cancel any time. I don't even know if you have to cancel any time. I think you can just try a month. But uh, it's worth a go. And if anyone has any questions about it, my social media is always there. I'm kind of good at getting back to people. I'll try my best. But uh, especially if it's questions about that. Any other sponsors you want to shout out? Uh, 10,000, my clothing uh, apparel sponsor. They're great, making really cool stuff. Uh, I'm proud to work with those guys in their full community. Um, yeah, those are the two right now that I'm just Where, where can we follow you? Where can we message you? Yeah, Instagram, it's my name. Yeah. It's at Robbie Ballinger, R-O-B-B-I-E-B-A-L-E-N-G-E-R. And then I have the URL for RobbieBallinger.com. It's got some work to do. I have a guy working on it. Uh, if you follow me on Instagram, when it's ready, I'm going to tell everybody, and then it'll be worth giving a look right now it's it's kind of in shambles well thank you for taking so much time congrats on finishing this just epic colorado quest the colorado crush we'll see if anyone even attempts it again <laughs> let alone finishes it and 
Um, it was a pleasure seeing you out there. Got to see you on the trails, got to see you at the finish lines, and just really enjoyed the conversation. So thanks for coming into the studio, and and we'll be in touch. Yeah, absolutely. And thanks for having me. Thanks for what you do. You you know you're you're this place that we all in this community can go to to hear cool stories, and I'm it's an honor to be here. So thanks for having me. And that was episode 180 of the Training for Ultra podcast. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Big thank you to Robbie for coming in-house, in-studio interview there. I hope you guys just really found a lot of what he was saying insightful. I definitely enjoyed that conversation. Big thank you to you Patreon supporters. You guys make a lot of this work. And big thank you to the podcast sponsors, Exoskin, Tanry Outdoors, in the John Wayne Grit Series. Definitely check out that upcoming Flagstaff Half Marathon that's coming up in just two days. If you don't have anything to do in the Flagstaff area, definitely check that out. But I really appreciate all the support. You know, this has been a busy period. We got a ton of really exciting interviews upcoming for you. But most importantly, don't forget to enjoy your training. Have a great week. See ya. still listening at this point you do know the episode is already over but Here's a secret insight. NBC Universal has hooked me up with a Kipchoge signed t-shirt that's going to be framed. And I am going to give it away. It's just stay tuned. This is exciting. It's actually kind of a valuable item. I wish I could keep it for myself. But 
Yes, I'll have a signed Kipchoge shirt that's framed that NBC Universal is hooking us up with. So stay tuned.